Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Ostertiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, joined by football analyst William Gardner. William, uh, that was a season to forget, but before we put it fully in the past, let's uh, talk a little bit about this 2022 CU football season that was. How are you doing? I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. You know, this is a uh, been a very long coaching search. Obviously, yeah. uh, they fired Carl Drill on October second, and uh, with the Deion Sanders situation, preparing for the SWAC championship game, it's put a delay on this. And uh, I'm ready for it to get over. But it's been good for uh, business, which is great. You know, the site right. is buzzing these days, and I know a lot of people that are tuning into this want to hear about the coaching news stuff. We're going to do that towards yeah. the end of the show, and the reason why is because if something happens, and, and maybe you're listening to this on a delay a few days down the road. We still want the the stuff at the beginning to be relevant to, uh, yeah. to your listening just, needs. But don't just skip to the end because we're tremendously entertaining. Well, that's yet to be determined. Uh, <laughs> I was asking you before we started, though, uh, if this had been the, the sort of the most draining, wearing year that you covered, and, and you said no. 2012, like I told you, was worse because I will say, and I'm going to, share my appreciation for Mike Sanford on this podcast, him and, and his coaching staff, awesome human beings. And, and I totally get any you fan that cringes and goes, well, you can't keep these guys around because uh, we got a clean house. And I, I totally get that. But as media, you're interacting with these guys three, four times a week during the season. And I, I got to say, this is my favorite staff, just from a personal s- standpoint, being able to talk to these guys off the record about, random things that don't aren't even football related and on the record I mean, these coaches were very very forthright and mike Tra- mike sanford was very transparent in his press conference and, and very honest and so that made it pretty palatable now the product on the field aside from the cow win was pretty brutal but back in 2012 you know that that was a whole different level yeah, of that- misery I, I I think I think people forget, or maybe a lot of people probably didn't know that um, you know that staff they 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 weren't a happy staff. I'm just trying to think of the right words. I mean, there was a lot of infighting. They didn't like each other. They fought a lot. There were there was a lot of nastiness, and um, you know, uh, at the very least, you know, th- this season it was very apparent to me in those first two games that man, this was going to be a long year. We might not win one. In the bye week, finally, thank God they did the right thing, and, and at least then you got hope. But I, I, I still felt like, wow, it's going to be a long ways until we're done playing these games because they're going to be ugly. At least there were positive things coming, like you said, coming out of the locker room and doing things for the kids and and, and things like that. Yeah, you could question the chemistry on some of the CU football teams that have struggled. From what I've heard, that that was not ever an issue on this football team. Now, I'm not saying every guy in that locker room loved every other guy in that locker room. You're not going to put together 105 guys and have every one of them singing Kumbaya all the time. But right. chemistry was not the problem on, the, on this team. And we'll kind of get into what we thought went wrong. If you go back and listen to our preview podcast for the season, neither of us predicted this was going to be a bowl team. No. But we certainly expected – them to compete a lot better than than they did. Why, why do you think the 2022 CU football season went so horribly wrong? Well, I mean, the very, I'm going to just keep beat the same drum that I've been beating, and I, it was just bad coaching. It's very poor coaching. 
The players were, had not been developed well over the previous two years. Um, the schemes were no good. You know, um, a couple of posters have, have, have talked at great length on the board about some of the defensive alignments that, from the perspective of somebody who knows front seven, it just didn't even make sense what we were doing out there. We weren't putting those kids in position um, to be able to be successful. And then uh, we had not developed them. I, I, I will never, and I think, it's, I think it must be part of the alignments or whatever, I will never understand what happened with those starting three defensive linemen who had been really pretty good for a couple of years. And then they came in this year and did seem to me did almost nothing. So I, I really think it, it goes back to coaching. I think, I think the other thing that really, really kind of cut our legs out from under us was um, losing our secondary in, in the transfer portal, because I think we'd be much more competitive on defense if we had Makai Blackman, if we had Gonzalez, you know, if we had some of those guys, Mark Perry, even still in our secondary, because I think where, where we really got killed defensively, well, we got killed defensively a lot of places, but you know, that, that secondary was rough and we ran out of safeties. And, and um, I, I think that's the one position, the defensive backs and that, that we lost in the transfer portal. I think that, that really kind of crippled us. Um, and then I think, I, I think the chemistry may have been good, but I don't think those kids believed that they were able to compete and win and, Football is a funny thing, you know. If you don't, if if they, if you don't believe, you won't do it. And, and once things start to snowball, it can it can just really get away from you. But um, I didn't think we really had an offensive identity at all. I didn't think the play calling was worth a darn on the offensive side, you know. Although it was improved from last year, uh, but we just really went down the tubes on the defensive side. Um, and I think other teams came in, you know, smelling blood in the water and came after us and, and we didn't have any answers. And, um, you know, then it's hard after you after you switch coaches midway through the season. I, I think the offensive line got better under Kyle Devan. But, you know, for two years, those guys essentially weren't coached. And, you know, they're playing teams with, with guys who've been coached well for three or four or five years. And I just I really will fight anybody about the talent level on the team. I don't think, again, you know, we're a great team, but we certainly weren't a team that should have got blown out by 30 in every game. To add into that, a few things. Number one, when I hear friends or just anybody, whether I'm at the dog park or wherever, and they're talking about this, this coach is a bum. And primarily they're talking about an NFL coach. And I go, well, my, my response is usually, well, who's their quarterback? Yeah. And more cases than not, the quarterback sucks. When you have the quarterback play that Colorado did this season, you're not going to compete. Uh, football is a beautiful game, but it is about 11 guys being on the same page and you're only as good as your weakest link. Yeah. And when you don't have a power five caliber quarterback and, and frankly, some of the quarterbacks that were on this roster, I don't want to be mean, but some of those guys weren't even group of five quarterbacks. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, I got, Owen, Owen McCown, and we're going to yeah. get to our silver lines. Owen yeah. is a silver lining and he did some nice things, but he's 157 pound true freshman that yeah. did not join the team as an early enrollee. It's well, not and even I, fair that even fair to put him out there. And, yeah. and I know that uh, he showed some things, but you know, that, that was, an issue you're not going to overcome because the ground game was pretty solid, but they couldn't run the football because they're constantly right. packed in there trying to catch up on the scoreboard. 
Uh, well, it, it's it's just it's it's and, and, and you know I got to break in because I I it's just mind boggling to me that professional people and I'm talking about our coaching staff getting paid to do a certain job could allow that that entire position over the course of several years to be filled with guys that can't play at this level. I mean, what was the evaluation process? Did they even evaluate these guys? What was the recruiting process? Did they even try to get other better guys? I mean, it, it, it just it just it just boggles the mind to imagine that a power five team winds up with five or six kids in the quarterback position, the single most important position on the team that are as bad as the ones we had. We didn't have anybody. And you and, and again, so I go back to the coaching. You know what the heck? Yeah. I will say JT Shroud is a mirage, you know, <laughs> and I tried to explain during the Washington game, it was such a blowout that I was just kind of interacting with fans on our message board. And uh, somebody asked me, well, you know, what did you see in JT Shroud that you and Brian both thought he should have been the guy? And I said, look, you know, he has those wow moments with his arm. And, and we've heard, you know, Colorado's coaches mentioned that as well. And you're not under fire in practice as a quarterback. Right. So he wasn't, live, so he wasn't worried about getting hit. He looked a whole lot more poised in practice. And that's something that's, unless you're going to make your quarterbacks live, which I don't know if I've ever heard of that happening at the college level. I, I don't know if you get quite to the extent of the evaluation process to realize how nervous he gets in those situations. Uh, because some of the turnovers he had, I, I think back to the safety uh, in the USC game or the fumble in the Minnesota game. And I like, want to talk about that safety too. Yeah. And I don't want to just beat up JT Shrout for, you know, this whole podcast, but uh, that, that was a bit misleading. I, I was, I was sh frankly shocked that right. he played as poorly as he did. Yeah. Um, now the other guys I wasn't expecting a whole lot from, you know, Brennan Lewis, we kind of knew what we had with him after last year, right? I don't think anybody was expecting a whole right. lot out of him. Uh, but you're right. You know, you you go back to 1997. This is the last time they had a, a quarterback drafted. And by just sheer luck, at some point, they're going right. to hit on that guy, yeah. you would think. Yeah. I mean, Colorado State's had two guys drafted since then. And, you know, it's not like they're they're signing someone, so many greater players. I mean, I, I guess, you know, I, I, I suppose on one hand, you got to give him a bit of a break. JT Shroud did come from Tennessee and he got on the field there. So there, there had to be something there. Um, but yeah, he had no, no presence in the pocket, no ability to escape and evade that safety in the USC game. I know everybody's going to look at that and go, Oh, the offensive line, the offensive line did not do that. If he had just glanced to his right, there was 30 yards of field. There was nobody there. And he turned, he turned into the pressure and made tank look like a chump, but you know, who was actually doing a pretty good job getting bull rushed by a very big, very good guy and actually stayed in front of him. And, and Shroud couldn't see half the friggin' field is wide open. Getting a little worked up. I might have to take a, take a pill or something here. <laughs> Again, going back to you're only as good as your weakest link, you know, the corners I thought actually played decent football, certainly you know, adequate football for, for most of the 2022 season, but uh, you brought up the safety issues and just other teams were just picking Colorado apart in the middle yeah. of the field. You look back to that Arizona state game, that quarterback for them or is not a great, great quarterback, but all he was doing was shooting fish in a barrel with guys just in yeah. the middle of the field open all day. And that was a pretty constant well, theme throughout the season. Right. And not just coverage, but, I have never seen 
in my well, okay, in my recollection, I, I don't remember seeing a defense so fundamentally poor at tackling. I mean, they couldn't tackle anybody. It's it he'd be watching, you know, and they'd have pretty good coverage in it, and and there'd be no tackle. I mean, that 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 play where that tight end got that touchdown, that re- relatively long touchdown in Utah. Um, not to pick on Nico Reed, but he dived at his feet. Dived at his feet. It wasn't a hurdle. Hell, I mean, it's not. It's not. It's, it's no more of a hurdle than if you hurdle over a parking block, you know, um, because the kid dived at his feet. You know, I, I was taught my whole career and it taught every kid I ever coached on the defensive line. You tackle with your head up, see what you can tackle. And they didn't do that. They didn't use their arms. So, again, I go back to the coaching and I don't think those kids, it's not that they didn't have the talent. They did, were not taught the skills of how to be successful in the game. And I think people don't understand that kids don't come into college from high school knowing how to play this game. For the most part, most of them probably don't get good coaching at the high school level. The coaches don't have enough time to teach them. And they're not physically developed well enough at that point really to pick up a lot of that stuff anyway. They have to be taught every aspect of this game. And that's why good coaches get more out of lesser players and get more out of good players too, but you have to teach the kids how to play the darn game. And, you know, two areas where that really stands out to me is nobody on that defense can tackle. And that's not about talent. That's about fundamentals. And then the second thing is for years at CU, I have yet to see a guy with any kind of pass rush skills, you know, with the, with the, with the exception of Jimmy Gilbert, and he was primarily speed, but it's like, you teach that you have to teach that. And all they ever do, all I ever see for four guys, a bull rush. Um, and, and more often than not, we, we only rush three guys. Well, you know, we don't have a pass rush to begin with. If we're only rushing three guys, three guys, JT Shroud could probably stand back there and look pretty good. So I, I just keep coming back to that coaching and I don't think it's as talent as much as people think it is. There's uh, obviously an importance with fundamentals when it comes to tackling but at the end of the day, it's about your willingness to to get in there and get physical. Yeah, I'm I'm curious, uh, William, if Colorado's offense was putting more points on the board, how much more fight do you think the defense would have shown this season? How many more yeah. inspired performances well, will we have seen out of that group? I'll give you an example. I coached a team where I was a defensive line coach and for two years. We had a really darn good defense. You know, I mean, we held teams under, under 10 points a game and our offense was so bad, so bad, you know, turnover, turnover, turnover. We'd get, we'd get those guys running back out there and they, you know, do a quick change, do a good job. But you could see that it wore them down. Because they come off the field and they and, and they can't come and talk to the coach because they got an eye on the field because they're going to have to run back out there in the next few minutes and and you could see uh, you know we we tried as hard as we can not to let that team split and point fingers or whatever but it's hard on a defense when you know that the offense is not going to do anything for you and and you've got to go back out there again and again and again and look I tell you in the modern game of football. Um, you give an offense enough shots at a defense, they're going to win some of them. You know, that's just how the game is now with the rules and the way offenses are run. Well, not offenses of Colorado, but that's that's part of the issue, I guess. But uh, I, I think it's hard for kids. But then I don't know, you know, uh, I, I'd like to see a hair on hair on fire kind of a defensive coach and approach approach to defense because we haven't seen that. You know, we go back to 2016 and um, say what you will about um, Pepsi guy. I'm, Jim old, Levitt. 
Jim, Jim Levitt and, and, and Tumpkin, but they always had somebody coming from somewhere. Right. And that's the beauty of it. It was always a surprise. Right. And they had those guys playing with their hair on fire all the time. And we didn't see that in the last three years, four years, four years under Durrell. And I think part of that is his personality is not a hair on fire. And I, I think you have to play this game with passion. I really do. Um, although less so on the offensive line, because that's more controlled. But but on defense, you just got to play, play with your heart on your sleeve and and. I didn't see our guys go out and do that. And I think that comes from the coaches. And I don't think there was anybody on that. The other thing about that 2016 team is it had some guys, you know, some guys on that defense that were leaders and and, and who demanded. Well, and quite frankly, they had uh, uh, Philip Lindsay on that team who demanded that everybody give that effort. And I don't know that we had those kinds of leaders on this team either. And you were able to mask some of that stuff early in the Jarrell tenure when you had Nate Lamon out there covering up for other guys' mistakes. Right. And I thought Tyson Summers was a pretty decent defensive coordinator. I think at times he put linebackers in some spots where they were just going to get beat in coverage, and that was kind of an issue. But uh, going from him to Chris Wilson was a downgrade. Oh, my God, yeah. Unbelievable. And really kind of surprising. Yeah, I would say give, given given Wilson's past that I I didn't see this coming from him to be honest yeah. with. You. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Silver linings. <laughs> there, there's a few. Van Wells. Okay. Next. <laughs> just just kidding. Well, if we're going players, I mean, I mentioned Owen McCown. Right. For sure. He's got a bright future, and maybe that's not even in 2023. I think you need to bring in a transfer quarterback. If that's Deion Sanders, we have a pretty good guess of who that would be. Yeah. And maybe Owen, you know, is a guy, you know, a year or two from now takes the reins and I think could develop into maybe a draftable quarterback if if his body develops. And his dad was a late bloomer. We've talked about that quite a bit. Uh, The running game. Right. You know, they just couldn't they couldn't stick with that. Uh, and those guys couldn't stay healthy. Fontenot showed some nice flashes late in the season. Deion Smith showed a lot of heart coming back two weeks after leaving the field in a stretcher. He had some bright moments. Anthony Hankerson looks like a bright right. spot for the Could future. Well, yeah, I think we found a left tackle for the next few years because I think I think Lichtenhan People can laugh all they want. That kid's got NFL potential. He's got the size and he's got the mobility. And I tell you what, watching him, the first couple of games he was in there was kind of a painful because he clearly didn't know what he was doing. And then to the credit of, of uh, Devan, uh, Tank got better and better. And by the end of the season, he was pretty darn good in pass protection out there. And as he learns to get his butt lower, he's going to be something special at left tackle. So I think we found that. I think we found a center that's going to be pretty darn good in Van Wells. And they had a elite playmaker there for a minute in Jordan Tyson, unfortunately. Yeah, the second right. he's starting to really find his right. groove and be this amazing weapon as a returner and receiver, then obviously he suffers a season-ending injury. It's going to be a long road to recovery for him. Spring right. ball is definitely out. Mike Sanford said he'd be surprised if he doesn't play in 2023, but he also said that doesn't necessarily mean game one. So uh, I'm a little skittish now because remember – uh, RJ Sneed came in with all this promise. Yeah. And he beat the timetable to come back, but man, he just did, didn't do much of anything this year. And and I have to assume 
William, that has to do with the foot injury because he was pretty dynamic at Baylor. So it doesn't make yeah. sense otherwise. Yeah. That makes me nervous about Jordan Tyson, I guess, is because he's well, going to be coming back without a spring ball in an offseason. Right. And it's going to be hard yeah. to expect a ton out of him next year. Nervous, Nate, maybe for next year. I, I think, I think not, not being a doctor here, but uh, I, I think fractures of the actual leg bones tend to be less problematic and anybody feel free to connect correct me if i'm wrong than foot injuries those foot injuries really seem to uh trouble guys sometimes and especially at a position like that where you got to push off that foot all the time yeah offensive line you mentioned jared christian lichenhan ben wells uh we'll get into kind of how they're going to have to retool that. Right. that that's probably it for offense i think we'd probably i, I like wiley i mean you know he's he, he people have pointed out he's got a limitation but i think he's got the tools to be a very solid right tackle so i think there's a foundation there at any rate i mentioned i, I thought the corners were just fine this year it, it, don't get me wrong it'd be nice to have christian gonzalez and makai blackman out there but I, I think Nico Reed and Kalen Moore were, were, you know, playing adequate football and they, they're true sophomores. So you'd assume that they're going to get better. Uh, Jason Oliver got some action in there as a true freshman. Simeon Harris playing a nickelback role when, right. you know, he was undersized from a, a weight standpoint that it was almost kind of unfair to put him in the position he was playing. But at times he, he made some mistakes, but uh, he's a guy that, that, uh, it, you know, you would think would develop into a pretty good player. Trevor Woods obviously is a, is a pretty good playmaker, but I mean, he, once Isaiah Lewis went down, it was yeah. Trevor Woods in a, in a whole lot of trouble back there at safety. Right. And then, who, you know, who else was there? Um, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's gotta be addressed because that, that just really, and you know what, when you've got that big of a hole back there, you know, it's hard to disguise it. With with scheme and with other guys, you know. Now, if you got if you got a couple NFL future NFL guys back there, you can make it work. But uh, we didn't have that. You know, we had a bunch of young guys trying trying to cover for uh, you know a fourth position where we really didn't have a guy. Yeah, Cole Becker was fine. Didn't have any issues there. Uh, punter was kind of kind of a mess this year. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> maybe the guy had to kick so much. <laughs> Even even long snapper was an issue in yeah. the second to last game. So just, just a rough season. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, sometimes when, you know, you, you, it's, I, I, it, it's one of those things that I've noticed over 40 years of it, it being involved in football. Sometimes when the wheels come off, it just all comes off, you know, I, I don't know. It's like, it's like a, like a, it's like the road runner and, uh, and, and the coyote, you know, when, when it all goes bad for the coyote, it all goes bad. <laughs> but anyways, like I said, Mike Sanford made this very palatable from a media standpoint. Uh, you know, even fans that like to tune into press conferences, I'm sure, saw that as a, a breath of fresh air. Carl Drill's not a bad guy, but he is dull. And those press conferences were brutal. Uh, they, they put you to sleep. Mike Sanford brought a lot of energy into the program. It worked for one week. Unfortunately, that, that's about all they could get out of it. I mean, what, one other thing. William, before we put a wrap on this and kind of move forward, is the schedule was brutal this year. It was. Absolutely brutal. Yeah. And when I was asked, okay, you see four or five wins out of this team, where are those wins coming from? And I said, well, I don't think the Pac-12 is going to be very good. Well, the Pac-12 turned out to be pretty darn good. Yeah. Colorado, no excuse to get blown out the way they did down in Tucson, losing to Arizona State by as much as they did. Those are games right. that they should have won or been closer in. But 
the month of November we knew was going to be a murderer's row of competition. And it proved to be that even, even a little bit more so than maybe we expected when you got guys like Bo Nix oh. and Caleb Williams in the Heisman conversation. Well, who, you know, you know, I mean, at the beginning of the season, who expected TCU to be this, who, yep. who expected UCLA to be this, you know, so even the front half of the season ended up being a heck of a lot tougher than most of us thought. You know, I think we all thought, I don't think anybody would have been surprised if Minnesota was having that kind of season, but they're still a good team, you know, so um, there, there really weren't, uh, uh, I don't, I don't, you know, Arizona's coming back, Oregon State's coming back. So there really wasn't any, any place in there aside from that Cal game where there was a, where there was an easy game. Yeah. Now that, now that being said, you know, they should, there's no excuse for them all to be 43 to seven. Yeah. But this has got to be, I would hope a, a lesson for the future. A, you don't ever, ever, ever schedule Air Force unless they make you play them because you're in the same conference. Yeah, good lord. Yeah. And you have to you have to schedule one FCS school. I know some people don't like that, but yeah. you get that first game going against an FCS school. You get a little confidence going. You get you know a few guys. Yeah, hopefully to play that normally wouldn't, and it's good for the locker room. And then you, you, you take a step forward in competition. And I know that these games are scheduled, you know, sometimes a decade in advance. And you think, right. okay, we're going to be in a great spot in 2022. Well, guess what? You don't know that. So schedule the FCS, schedule a group of five. And then if you want to do a home and home with the power five, in my yeah. opinion, one is the max there. Yeah. And I mean, I'm kind of looking, looking ahead at next, next year's schedule. And we kind of sort of do that, but you know, it's like, oh, say our group of five team is Colorado State, which is a rivalry. We're going to get everything they got, you know. And then um, we got TCU and Nebraska. Nebraska is a rivalry, whether they're down or not. So it's like you're not doing them any favors here. Well, I'll say if you can schedule Nebraska every year, I would be all in on that. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, it'd be nice to get them at the end of the year instead of the beginning. But I guess that's the only way to do it now. But yeah. You know, we start that, that, you know, the new coach starts out next year. Man, it's, it's rough already. So, and I guess I, maybe I've learned my lesson. And, well, who knows? You know, I probably have. I'm too old and dumb to learn any lessons, I guess. But I guess I'll be more wary next year looking at these teams and thinking who we can actually beat and compete with. Yeah, but you're right. I, nobody expected TCU to be a team that is projected currently to play in the college football playoff. That, right. I mean, that's crazy. And the thing is, their quarterback that's a Heisman Trophy candidate didn't even start that game against CU. That's how much even the folks there in Fort Worth didn't know what type of team they had because they didn't even know uh, that they had a Heisman Trophy candidate on, on their roster because they didn't start them in the CU game. Right, and, and it's it's just one of those things, you know. I mean, it's kind of like 2016 for us, I suppose. You know, nobody saw that coming. But that's the frankly, that's the beauty of this game. That's the beauty of college football. It just would like it if it happened to us more often. <laughs> <laughs> instead of against us. All right. So you take the 2012 Colorado football team. And obviously this is something that you can't do, but you take that 2012 team, the way it was constructed, the way those guys were in terms of their talent back then and line them up against this year's CU football team. Oh, Who wins that football game? Oh my, you know, it, it's hard to think back. Uh, 10 years and have an honest picture in my mind. I kind of feel like um, that that team had some pretty good elements to it. 
Um, surprisingly, there was there were guys on that team, you know, like Dan Munyer and David Bakhtiari and Jack Harris on the offensive line, Ken Crawley uh, in the secondary. There's some guys that played a lot of games in the NFL on that team, but you wouldn't know it from from how they showed up on the field. Um, but that would, uh, that would be a true freshman Ken Crawley, though. Which uh, was he a freshman? Of, I thought he was. I thought he was a little bit farther in at that. Yeah, point. he was an underclass, and that was pretty rough. Yeah. And t- he didn't really come on until senior year. But sorry, yeah. no. But um, uh, I don't know. You know, I think um, it's almost impossible to decide. I I, I think um, I think I think I I think I would have to pick the 2012 team. Okay. Because I think they they had a better offensive line and some running backs. And they had some pretty good linebackers on that team. Well, maybe an important question within this question is: Can I can I start Owen McCown in that game? <laughs> yeah, because if I can't, then I'm going yeah. 2020. Right. But if right. Right. I can start Owen McCown and he's healthy, uh, I'm uh, that would be a tough call. Uh, you, wh- wh- who was our guy that year? Tw- uh, Webb. Um, Jordan Webb. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh my goodness. It just it just mind blowing the the futility at the quarterback position in this program. I don't know. So I don't know. That that's it that's a sad exercise to have to go through to try to figure that one out. Okay. Casey Roddick entered the transfer portal earlier this week. The, the transfer portal for FBS players doesn't really open up until Monday, but graduate transfers can enter at any point. It doesn't mean that Casey Roddick can't change his mind and come back, but He's been in the CU system for six years because he gray shirted, then red shirted. All I've seen is people wishing him luck, which is obviously the right approach here. But gosh, he's been a rock the last two years on the offensive line. Maybe not at an all conference level, but that next step down, he's been pretty darn solid. Well, I, I think, I think, you know, had he had some continuity in coaching and not almost died. I mean, we might as well throw that on the table. You know, if he hadn't almost almost not died from a heart issue and had to sit and not even work out, I, I think he, he absolutely, you know, and, and not had a coach, and I use the word loosely, coaching him who had no clue and didn't know what the hell he was doing. I think Casey Roddick very easily could have been a first-team all-conference guy at some point if he had a little bit of continuity uh, um, that – would have worked that much better for him. I think one of the advantages for him, if he's going to leave is if he stays, I mean, you know, hopefully uh, we, we get our announcement on Sunday and he knows who his head coach would be at least. He still doesn't know who his offensive line coach would be, but um, presumably given what he's shown on the field, I think he would have some options out there and he could pick a program and an offensive line coach that would help him maximize where he is and maybe get a shot at the NFL. So, I mean, that's one advantage to him. Um, but like you said, he doesn't have to make a decision at any time soon, so he could could certainly come back. And Tommy Brown, with a year of eligibility remaining, looks like he's done at CU. From what I'm hearing is uh, Tommy Brown is not expected back in the program. He participated in the senior day festivities. And, yeah. and Tommy Brown and Casey Roddick consistently graded out, both from pro football focus and the CU coaches, as their top two offensive linemen this year. Yeah. So that would be a tough I, that will I, that will be a tough piece to to lose because yeah, again, I, thought, I don't think he's coming back. No, I thought they were pretty solid, and you know, I mean, I think Tommy's got an underwear uh, model future to get going here. Um, so, you know, not sure if you, football's his future, given given the uh, NIL um, 
video. Yeah, he's, so. he's got bigger, bigger and brighter things yeah. in his future. <laughs> got to get up to Duluth Trading Company and uh, get get a, get a career going there. But uh, no, that's certainly. I think losing those two guys leaves a hole in that offensive line. There's some young guys. Certainly, Van Wells is, is going to be solid in the middle. Um, Austin Johnson comes back. Um, but then there's no obvious person on the roster right now to, to fill that other spot. And so that makes uh, picking up a, a, an offensive lineman that can play guard well uh, in the portal an important piece. And Frank Phillip is done. That's something that you know his family's confirmed since yeah. uh, playing. And scoring a touchdown, uh, the, the yeah. final yeah. touchdown of the 2022 season, had you just completely checked out at that point, William, or, or did you? Uh, stay tuned in to see that. I, that no, I didn't see it live. I'll be, I have to admit, I was it was just too disgusted. But Frank Phillip is a guy to me that makes me very sad because that guy in 2020, in that shortened season, was playing at close to an all conference level. So I thought, here we go, man. You know, next two years he's really going to improve each year. And then he's, you know, he had to, he too had the combination of Rodriguez and and then that shoulder surgery that really ended up, I think, making a big difference for him. Um, and I wonder, you know, put this, turn this, turn the clock back. And if Chris Kapilovich was here for four straight years, are he and Chris Roddick looking to be in draft picks? And I don't think that's crazy to say that to have, if they'd had continuity and a good coach, every, every offensive line coach does things slightly differently, you know? So they got to learn new things and kind of start over each particular time. And Rodri didn't know what he was doing anyway. So they didn't really make any progress in those two years. So Frank Phillip is one of those kids that I will always shake my head at and think, man, that guy got a raw deal, man. Yeah. I wonder with Frank to, how much did he love playing football? Because we heard he almost walked away from the game yeah. in 2019. And you mentioned Chris Kapilovich and, and Mel Tucker. They kind of had to talk him out of that a little bit. And, yeah, he he, he bounced back and, like you said, had a, a really nice 2020 season. But that's one position, man. If you don't love it, it's yeah. going gonna, gonna to eventually show, right? I mean – And, 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 and uh, you know, that, that reminds me of a couple of kids I've coached in the past who, who – you know, played up at the power five level and, you know, um, this is going to sound weird, I guess, to people that don't really understand the offensive line, but you know what? Some of those kids were just too happy and too well-adjusted. Things were going good in life. They didn't need it. You know, you look at a Nate Landman and regardless of whatever else is going on in life, he needs this game, man. I mean, it's built into who he is and to play the offensive line, you need to have that kind of need for the game as well, because you know what? You're not going to get patted on the back. You know, you, you go 100 straight plays doing a great job, and then the one time you screw up, everybody can go, that guy sucks. And so you have to have a different mentality on the offensive line. And, and I, you know, watching uh, this level of football for 40 years, it's become very apparent to me that a lot of guys come into college football with fantastic talent and size and skills and whatever at all positions, but the guys who um, need it more than the other guy and so much that they that they put the effort in every single year and every single off season end up being the ones who maximize that talent and really turn it into something. So I think that's a valid point for sure. We were going back and forth over text about possible topics for this podcast, William, and you threw out there we should talk about their biggest transfer portal needs. And I started to think about that and it's easier to talk about what they don't need in the portal <laughs> yeah. than what they need. 
right? I mean, they need a serious infusion of players pretty much across the board. Now, I will say, if Nico Reed, Kalen Moore, Jason Oliver, Simeon Harris, and Nigel Bethel, and those guys are back corner, I feel good about that group. Corner, yeah. I don't think you necessarily need to bring in a transfer there. Uh, I think pretty much every other position they need somebody. Yeah, Maybe I, I, kicker but, but, as well. I think right. Trump well, and I, I think the three that just scream at me are quarterback, clearly. Because, <laughs> um, I, like you said, I mean, I don't know that you want to throw him a count out there. You're going to get snapped in half, but quarterback needs somebody that could play. And look at the, look at the teams. You know, like we talked, you were we were talking a minute ago about uh, we didn't think the Pac-12 would be all that great um, coming into the season, and it ended up being pretty darn tough. But one of the reasons is a lot of those teams went out and got a quarterback in the transfer portal. It made a hell of a difference for a lot of those teams, like you said, they have one position guy. But the other the other place where we are in real trouble, man, is the defensive line. If we don't get some bodies in on the defensive line and guys who can play because, you know, there, there's maybe two or three, maybe two, maybe three guys who could play right now that are coming back on that defensive line. And that's a big darn problem. They better get not just a body, but numbers of bodies and then safety. Obviously I think they need to bring in somebody for sure, but uh, like you're, you're not wrong. Um, I don't know. Maybe running back has got a lot of guys coming back. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of holes in this team, but there are some of them that are dire. I like the group of running back, but I think you could bolster that group a little bit yeah. more. It, it's scary looking at that front seven projecting ahead, like you mentioned, D line. We don't know if Jalen Sami is going to be back. Neem Rodman was interesting. He graded out, was playing a ton early in the year, and then his playing time kind of diminished as the season went along. Um, I like some of the pieces at inside back or going forward, but there's not that one guy you look at and go, this right. is a sure thing there. Right. Um, I think sure. Owen Carey's got a bright future, but you'd like to have him be kind of a rotation guy. Maybe not necessarily. Way into it a little bit. Aubrey, Aubrey Smith, I, I really like his future, but those yeah. guys are going to be second year true sophomores next right. year. Right. And, and there's actually a lot of guys at, at that sort of linebacker, you know, defensive end position from that freshman class that I liked a lot, but I don't want to count on them. They're second year on campus. Yeah. A lot of work to do for the next head coach. Yeah. Let's see. There's yeah. no doubt about that. What and I've, this- often, I've often wondered, I guess, that, that makes me think, you know, I mean, never, never uh, try to get a head coaching position. But, you know, like if you have options, I wonder if people look at the roster and see what they really have to do when they get there um and does that scare people away i think it scares people less now because of the portal yeah and as i've mentioned on our message board that changes are coming that's going to make it easier for them to get transfers in compared to what they had to deal with last offseason so that's going to be huge you you can fix this roster if you have a dynamic personality and head coaching role that can uh sell guys on you know because See you stepping into the NIL collective space now. Uh, there's still not going to be major players there. Well, we'll see. If Deion Sanders is there, maybe that changes overnight. But playing time is still a currency that is valuable. Right. And they can sell that. So uh, that that is something to mention as far as, uh, you know, why, why would a guy want to transfer to Colorado? Because you can play 
Um, and again, if Deion Sanders is your coach, there's going to be so much excitement around this program. Like we right. haven't seen, right. uh, I don't think in my time on this beat in 20 years. Right. What are the seniors you're going to miss most as we turn the page to 2023? Uh, Guy Thomas jumps out of me. Alex Fontenot has been around for a long time um, and did a lot of good things for us over the years. Uh, I don't know. You know, Quinn Perry is a guy that gets a lot of heat on the board, but doggone it, that guy plays. He's one of those guys that plays with his heart on his sleeve and his hair on fire, and he just, you know, doesn't have the speed to do it. But um, I enjoy watching him play. So, and, and like you said, it's not, there's not an obvious person to fill his spot. Um, Isaiah Lewis seems like he'd been here for a decade <laughs> and, and done some really good things for uh, Brady Russell, I guess, probably is, is where we ought to start. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that guy has been um, part of this team and, and a starter for, you know, really kind of the, really kind of the, the, the prototype, um, happy ending story of a, of a college football player, right? You know, walk on ends up being a, uh, I don't know. I can't remember if he's a four-year starter or three at least, but uh, really was integral to the, to uh, the offense and the team. So uh, Brady Russell, I think it is, it, you know, guess it'd be weird not to see all that hair out there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to miss chance. I'm going to miss chance Maine too. I know he was only around for a year, but that was a guy that if you keyed in on him, he man, he played with a motor out there. He yeah. was always going. Yeah, yeah. He he was. He seems like a little bit of a character. I was. I hadn't met him in person, but uh, um, you know, Terrence Lang has been here a long time, and he had quite a story. You know, uh, coming in and getting better every year. Um, uh, I don't know. There's there's a lot of guys on there. I mean, I would I I, I would like to see Tommy Brown another season. Casey Roddick, you know. Yeah. Um, I guess I don't know if they're technically seniors, but um, they're not. Doesn't look like they're going to be here. So, so they're they're guys too that I would like to have to see or see them around. It's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself a little bit here, but I'll try to explain it out a little bit. I think there's more talent in this program than the average person thinks. Now they're lacking that top end all conference type talent, the, the talent that's going to have you in the conversation for, you know, the PAC 12 championship. Yeah. But I went through and looked at all the guys that have eligibility that aren't in the portal that as of the recording of this podcast are expected to come back. And there were 48 guys that if I was the next head coach at CU, I'd want to stay in the program. There are 13 guys that, uh, frankly, I don't know the most tactful way to say this, but they kind of need to move on. So you need these scholarships for transfers. Yeah. You get 13 quality transfers and you change the game. It's not necessarily top to bottom roster management. It's, it's at the very top. They need those difference making type guys to make the difference, but there's quite a few guys that are young in their career that, are yeah. going to be anywhere from quality depth pieces to guys, even a torn Pittman that is an elite gunner on special teams is going to be on all four core special right. teams groups that earns his scholarship that you right. want to and, stick around. And I think people forget about those kinds of guys. And look, you know what, man, I look at the scores every week and I get it. I get it. You, you know, the average person not diving too deep into it, maybe doesn't have a whole lot of background and in, in really into 
college football. You look at those scores and you think, man, these players are these players must they got to be bad, right? But you know, I sort of went on a rant at the beginning of this um, podcast about the lack of coaching those kids have received, you know, and and players are a product. You know, like they said, they don't come into college football knowing how to play the game, and so each year you expect to see them get a little bit better, a little bit better with good coaching. And a lot of those players didn't get good coaching at their positions here at CU. And and so there's more talent here than people think. It hasn't been used well and it hasn't been developed well. But there are some kids here who, if we got good coaches, uh, you know, um, with good schemes and taught them how to play the darn game, could could be a lot better than what we saw this year. And I think that's what I mean by, I, I, I you know, people, People will ridicule me for saying this, I guess, but I still believe there's enough talent on this team to win five or six games if they were if they were coached properly. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, how close have you been keeping an eye on the uh, coaching search? Have you been uh, refreshing BuffStampede.com on oh a regular God. basis? Well, Our message board is uh, in, in fine form these days. I got to say. Yeah. Oh my God, do But you know, it's like. Uh, I don't know if you you look at the board right, and there's and and if you don't keep up with it, it'll show you uh, how many new posts, and it stops at, at nine plus. I got a lot of threads with nine plus because you know I, I you know I don't know how people do, it, but some of these threads I, I go away and there it, it thread goes up one page, right? Come back four hours later, there's there's fourteen pages. I I don't know how the heck I'm supposed to catch up with all that, um, uh, and then half of it is is. Uh, Oxford or somebody bickering with somebody else, you know. So uh, I followed it. I think I'm pretty uh, up to speed with the various names involved and such. Um, but I don't think uh, you know. I haven't kept up. I haven't followed every uh, Rip Ripple and Eddie in the stream. Well, I guess we can go there. Yeah, uh, Dion Sanders. Do you have any reservations if he's the guy? I have reservations to, to some extent about everybody on this list, to be honest with you. Um, but my reservation with Dion is his lack of head coaching experience. But, you know, having done a lot of homework and watched a lot of things about him in the last week, I like everything I'm hearing. I like what he's doing at Jackson State. And the thing that kind of really uh, kind of blew my mind was I, I was thinking back that uh, Jim Harbaugh was was coaching at San Diego, which is same level as Jackson State, except I would argue San Diego, and I'm not. We're not talking San Diego State, University of San Diego. Uh, that's where he had been there in his second year, I think, when he got the job at Stanford. Now I'm not saying that Dion's going to come in and be an ex- as successful as him, but but they have very similar resumes coming in. I think 40 years of watching teams hire new coaches, it's a crapshoot, man. You know, you hire the, the hotshot guy or the guy that won a national championship and then come in and fall on their on their face, you know. And then you hire your wide receiver wide receiver coach and he's Davos Sweeney. I mean, you know, who, who, who can figure that out, right? But I think what Dion brings to the table in terms of instant excitement and, I don't know, my experience, I'm an old man, I'm 58, man, and I tell you, some people just win. Some people just, they are successful at everything they do. And he seems to be one of those guys. But what I like about what he does down there, you know, you watch a little bit of his coaching on, on the various shows and everything is he's a hard-nosed coach. He's not all just, uh, uh, you know, bling and, and, and fancy lights. He requires his coaches and his players to do something. But 
it's very clear that he cares a great deal about them as well. And I, you know, it's all, that's always been the best mix to me is, is be hard on your players, but love them just as much. And he gets a lot out of his kids and out of his coaches. And what I desperately want in, in, in Bowler, number one is competence. And number two is a head coach that demands that every one of his assistant coaches do their job because I am sick to death, sick to death of every single year having two or three coaches who do nothing, don't recruit, don't produce on the, at their position and keep their jobs. And I'm sick of it, really sick of it. Um, and it'd be nice also, you know, after Carl Burrell to, to, to have somebody who's excitable at the head coach position, you know? Um, so, uh, of all the options out there, I, 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 I well, the other thing I think that that is true of, of Deion Sanders is, man, that guy knows everybody, right? One of the problems Carl Durrell had was he didn't know enough people to hire a staff, which is why we wound up with a with a with a you know guy like we did with Rodrigue. Um, that's not going to be a problem for Deion Sanders. He knows people and he can find people, and I think people will be excited to come work for him because, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a fun thing to do. So I don't think he'll have a problem putting together a staff. I don't think he'll, I think he will be the first coach we have had come in here, maybe aside from um, uh, Mel Tucker, who will put recruiting as the most important aspect of his program, because it has not been a priority to the head coaches in this program outside of Mel Tucker. And I'll, I'll dispute anybody in the room who says it has for any of them because it hasn't, you know, he, I think he'll demand that, that his coach, his head, his assistant coaches do it. But I think, I think the kind of credibility you got as Deion Sanders, when you talk to kids and players, I mean, if, as far as I understand, he's the only human being ever to play in a Super Bowl in the world series. I mean, that's the kind of guy he is. Yeah. Look how excited I am. You can see it on my face. I know that it's, it's not a, it's not a video, but, uh, but um, I'm, ex I'm as excited about him as I've been about anybody. Granted, the lack of, of coaching experience gives me pause, but what are you going to do? Yeah, had Colorado been in a position where they're winning six, seven, eight games a year, I could see the concern with hiring somebody like Deion Sanders because you'd say, well – He's going to come in here and my pull a Mel Tucker and be gone really quickly. And there's certainly uh, the possibility of that if you hire him, um, because I don't think Deion Sanders is going to come here and say, this is a destination job for me and I'm going to be here in 15 years. Right. Um, but given where CU's program is right now, you know, I, I think this is the perfect guy to infuse the program with. Right all that buzz and energy that, that you're lacking as a program right now. And uh, we talked about, you know, the need for, you know, 13 ish really high caliber transfers. And uh, there's not a candidate out there that, that's going to attract that number of guys that are going right. to be potential all conference guys like Deion Sanders would. And, and there's other candidates I like, but it would be really difficult for any of those other guys yeah. on the list to, to pull that off. I mean, he, he brought the number one recruit in the country to, to a lower level school. I mean, that's unheard of, yeah. unheard of. He brought in a four-star defensive tackle to a, to a smaller school, you know? So I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that kind of thing to happen here in that first year as well. I think the other thing that kind of is exciting to me, and this is maybe not maybe a, a tangent a little bit, but it's exciting to me 
to see the administrative part of this school doing the things that need to be done. Like, you know, you know, I think you talked about a little bit about the kind of contract that they're putting out there to make him one of the highest paid guys in the Pac-12. That's the kind of commitment we need. You know, fix the damn transfer thing. That's the kind of commitment we need. You know, and I'm and we're seeing that. And maybe, maybe it took this horribly embarrassing year to make that all happen. I don't know. What what else should we talk about with Deion Sanders? I know that's what everybody wants us to discuss and they want to hear about. Um Obviously, he's preparing for the SWAC championship game. So I've, I've said this many times on the message board. I'm sure people are sick of me posting this. But but right now, no news is good news. He's played this game at the highest levels, and I think he has an understanding of what makes an offense and a defense work. And quite clearly, you see that at Jackson Statement. You don't you don't go 11-0 without knowing what you're doing on both sides of the ball. And um, like I said, I just like that he's demanding of his coaches and players. Um but that he has fun out there. You know, I got to tell you, man, it, at, at this point, I want to see somebody having some fun on a CU sideline. And, that, you know, obviously winning is the most fun, but somebody who's excited to be there and, and, and it's got things going on. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I, I, I like any of the, and I make, I don't know if we're down to two or three now, but, um, you know, given the excitement over Dion, it, it, it feels like a little bit of a, uh, of a, of, of a lesser excitement to go to anybody else, but um, he's certainly the, the guy I think everybody wants. Yeah. We will ha- do a Dion Sanders only podcast and we will do many podcasts focused just on him. Uh, if the announcement comes on Sunday that, that he is the guy. So uh, for folks that wanted to be Dion Sanders only 24 seven, on buffstampede.com. I, I totally get that. I, I get all that. And it, it is exciting to think about what uh, 2023 would look like with him as a head coach. Now, as a media guy, William, I'm going to have to be prepared going into all those media <laughs> scrubs because he will push back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you, you better think your questions out if you're going to ask Deion Sanders a question about his football program. Uh, I've <laughs> seen some of his, his interactions with guys out there at Jackson State, and he seems to have fun with the media. It seems like this would be a fun give and take, but uh, you're going to be doing a lot more taking with Deion Sanders. You're not going to push back a whole lot with uh, you, a guy you, with his cachet. How does that make you feel as a professional in your profession? Do you, does that you look forward to that? Is it a little bit daunting? It, it's a little bit mixed, and there's going to be a lot of people around the CU program from a media standpoint that have not been there, obviously. Right. And that part of it, it's like, you know, you're fair weather reporters, right? You were not here covering this team going through 2012 and going through 2022, like me and Brian Howell. uh, We've we've put in a lot. We've watched a lot of bad football to get to this point, to to have the excitement of somebody like Deion Sanders and that head coaching job. Uh, So I know. That part of it, I'd probably just bite my tongue as far as that goes because uh, excitement around the CU program uh, would be good for the program. Uh, so that, that part of it would be difficult. But, you know, I like Carl Durrell. I respect him as a human being, but it made it really difficult from a, a business standpoint. The last three years, we hit kind of uh, our peak subscription total under Mel Tucker. And if you look at the graph, I mean, it is just a slow slide during his 
two and a half, three year tenure at CU. So that was tough. You know, it's not something that I'm ever going to whine about publicly. I guess I'm doing that on the podcast right now, but <laughs> Deion Sanders, I guess the best way to put it, he would be good for business and yeah. that would be good. We've got a 14, 12 and 11 year old. They're going to be going to college someday. So uh if we can sell a few more subscriptions because uh, Deion Sanders is a head coach at Colorado, that, yeah. that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, that's good. I, I, God knows you've earned it, you know, and I, I don't mind singing your praises because I, you know, I think you have a level of integrity and professionalism that's not often seen in media anymore. And, and I think that that's why you keep people around on the board who are as loyal as they are. But those people that have been loyal to me, and, and uh, I certainly do appreciate that, uh, they deserve this as well, just as much as I do. Uh, and, and you, William, for yeah. contributing, taking time away from your day job, uh, we should be talking about four-star commitments and yeah. winning football games. And you deserve that. Everybody that that's stuck with it, like I said, there's going to be a lot of fair weather CU fans, but the, the folks right. that really deserve it are the ones that... Uh, have still been showing up to Folsom Field that, you know, fortunately for, for me to be able to continue to do this for a living, have stayed with buffstampede.com yeah. through those those tough times. And I've always thought it was funny, you know, whenever I saw somebody say, you know, you know, like when somebody starts criticizing the team or whatever, oh, you're a fair weather fan. Man, those people were gone a decade ago. What all you got left is the nuts like me. You know, yeah. the ones who do, I, I can't quit you, you know what I'm saying? So uh, it would be nice to have, I don't mind welcome, welcoming back new people, you know, um, to have that excitement back of a 2016 or, you know, going back to the 90s or whatever. But uh, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Ryan Walters, if he gets the job, first off, you would say you'd feel bad for him in the sense that, there's going to be a huge drop off in terms of excitement and that wouldn't be right. fair to him. Right. 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 He's a really good coach and he deserves a head coaching job. Maybe that should be at the group of five level to prove yourself as a head coach. I don't know. Um, but I know that he did really well in the interview process. And I know that that defense at Illinois is his creation and they rank yeah. second in the country and points allowed this season. If you've tuned into an Illinois football game, that defense is a thing of beauty and he is the architect of that. Right. And so he's got ties to see you, which, you know, frankly, maybe got him in the door for an interview, but I don't think that would have helped him necessarily land the gig. Right. Just given the fact that guys with ties to see you have struggled getting that head coaching role at CU Carl drill loosely, but he didn't play at CU, but obviously he had been a coach at Colorado. Mm -hmm. That's why he was even on their radar. John Embry, that era was uh, unfortunately an unmitigated disaster because uh, I like John Embry personally, and I like Eric Bieniemy as a person. He's he's kind of crazy, but I like him as as a human being. And uh, you would hate to see Ryan Walters come in here and it not to work out, and that's yet another, you know, forever buff right. that it has a tarnished legacy within the CU community. Well, I think that, you know, I, I, it, it struck me as very unfair over the last week to see those kinds of posts saying, oh, you know, there's just a bus for life, people trying trying to be, you know, be placated or whatever. And I don't think that's fair at all because Ryan Walters has proven he's a darn good coach and he's competent. You know, I mean, he hasn't been a head coach, but then there's lots of guys that we looked at over the last couple of weeks that were not head coaches who should get a job somewhere. Everybody's got to have a first shot somewhere. 
Um, and it, it would be, a, I think it would be a, a come down. I think anybody, anybody, that, if we wind up with anybody but Dion, there's going to be sort of a, um, you know, day after Christmas, didn't get what we wanted to get kind of a feeling, you know, yeah. but I think Ryan Walters would be as good a coach as we've had in here in the last 10, 15 years, which isn't saying much, but um, I, I think he would be a very solid and competent coach. So I don't know, you know, we'll see uh, if they get the right person in here and, and get some of these things fixed. There's no reason why this program can't be successful. Awesome. Well, hopefully there is many, 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 podcasts in our future talking about Deion Sanders and his impact on the CU program. But uh, wanted to start off the show kind of recapping 2022, putting the season to bed. And uh, I don't know if we want to spend a whole lot of time talking about this season once we we turn the page, yeah. right? I mean, that, we, we kind of put that to bed, you think? I, yeah, I think throw, throw dirt on it and let's move on. All right, William. Well, I always appreciate your contributions and uh, I'm sure uh, – CU fans uh, are going to be hitting that refresh button on buffstampede.com here in the coming days and, until we get that announcement. And then hopefully they're, they're going to hit that refresh button because there's a lot of exciting right. news right. in terms of recruiting going right. forward as they really bolster this roster because it, it needs to happen. So, uh, well, thanks yeah, I to think, you. Yeah, I think if I think if we get the guy we want, that, that initial press conference is going to be a can't-miss TV. Awesome. William? Again, I appreciate you, and again, appreciate everybody out there for tuning in. Thanks, Adam. Thank you.